Welcome to 51 First Dates. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And we are doing an experiment. And talking about dating. And love. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Cheers. Cheers. Hi, everybody. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And welcome to 51 First Dates. We are a podcast. Ooh, dates. Um, we are a podcast and I have a squeaky voice and you know we're a podcast because you're listening to us via a podcast app but we we talk about dating of late we've been dividing our time between kind of fun pop culture exercises and you know explaining what we've been watching and then some dating chats but I'm really excited about this episode Liza I'm thrilled it's gonna be a great one we are going to what are we going to do? We're going to talk about, we're going to do our consumption corner, of course, because we have to. The things we're consuming in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're Mine is embarrassing, as always. Come to expect nothing less from my shitty consumption. Um, and then we're going to do a fantasy boyfriend draft. We're bringing back our draft practices. Yeah. Uh, we're loving- we have assembled a list of the creme de la creme of fake boyfriends from pop culture. Yeah, again, we're loving like creating these segments if you're hating them. Totally cool. If you missed our last one on date spots for the rest of your life, you know, inspired by this terrible pandemic and the fact that chain restaurants might be the only ones to exist, check out our Instagram at buy one first dates pod. Anyway, back to Liza. Sorry, just had to jump in there. No, and you can, of course, also email us at 51firstdatespod at gmail.com. You can join our secret Facebook group. And you can check out our Patreon where we are recapping all of the first season of Sex in the City from the beginning. And it's really, really fun and good. And we are having so much fun realizing all of the bad ideas about womanhood that Sex and the City put into our head and all the good ones, too. And we are doing we are not just asking for your money for us to play around with, though that would be fun. Um, The Patreon is supporting Feeding America. We're going to switch up the content once we get through the first season of Sex and the City. So if you're like thinking about joining, join now. Your money goes to Feeding America. Listen to some Sex in the City. And then we're going to dive into some reality TV recaps or, or, or content. We're, we're working on it. But if you're new to us, this is actually a dating podcast. Started out as a dating project that I have adopted from a reviewer. Thank you for reviewing as a dating rumspringer, uh, which I just can't get over how good that is. We need, it's, it's an Apple review. Thank you so much. It's one of the nicest reviews ever. But I So I can't properly credit you, but I think it's like Francis Z with the review about Rumspringa. I love it. And to all of you writing reviews, thank you so much. It may feel silly that it's so important to write reviews to us, but we really appreciate it. And if you want to pause and you know write one right now, we'd really love that too. Uh, but there is some meat in this episode. It is not just babbling about dating related and adjacent things. We have an amazing interview uh, in the second half of this podcast with the Darwinian diva herself, Dr. Viviana Weeks Shackleford. Did I say that right? Kimmy? You nailed it. Did I? Okay. And she, you know, we talk about evolutionary psychology and relationships and the impact of that. It's really different than what we normally talk about. And I think you should stick around and listen to that as well. Completely. It was super interesting. She's very smart. And we asked her some rambling but fun questions about how our brains work in dating practices in mating practices in attraction etc um and it was really fun and cool to talk to her so we hope you stick around but first consumption corner consumption corner yes liza what are you consuming this week okay well we all know survivor i've been talking about it nonstop. 
but <laughs> I will talk about something different. Uh, I have been watching on Hulu all episodes of Golden Girls from the very beginning. And this has been something I've been doing really slowly for a while. And I may have even mentioned it on this podcast, but it is bringing me a renewed sense of like deep, immense comfort in this time. And one of the reasons I got started on a Golden Girls kick is because for whatever reason, like every drag queen loves Golden Girls. A lot of there's a lot of drag Golden Girls shows and a lot of drag queens reference Golden Girls. Like it's a big I think it's a big thing. B. Arthur is a big icon in the gay community. But so many of the queens I love from being a big Drag Race fan talk about and reference um, the Golden Girls constantly. And I have remembered liking it as a kid. But here is the thing that is like blowing my mind about Golden Girls. It is so unbelievably ahead of its time. Like mm. it's it's unreal. It was like a, a network sitcom in the 80s starring women in their 50s through like 70s and like an episode I watched a couple nights ago, they were sitting around talking about when they lost their virginity and whether or not they had an orgasm the first time they had sex. And it's hilarious. I still laugh. Like there are some things that are dated and you feel it, but I still laugh at every single episode. I think the comedy is so sharp and so smart. And like when I think about Sex in the City being, we're again, we're recapping Sex in the City on the Patreon. We're doing a lot of thinking about it and talking about it. And if everyone freaked out about it being ahead of its time. But now I'm watching Golden Girls and I'm like, why is no one talking about how ahead of its time this? It's so good. And it's all on Hulu. I am underwatched when it comes to Golden Girls. Like I just missed it in my, you know, uh, coming up, comeuppance as a human. But I, I, I think that's a very good suggestion and I'm going to dive in. Also, you are so correct just from like optics for 50 to 7-year-old women, if if Real Housewives did not exist, we would not have another show. Grace and Frankie, only two. Like, we wouldn't have another show without featuring that many older women as stars. And all of the characters are basically, not, that's a lie. It doesn't exactly line up with Sex and the City, but there is fully a Charlotte, a Samantha, mm, mm-hmm. and I would argue that there's potentially like two Mirandas but the lead of the show like I, I think the central they're all fairly equal in a sitcom way but in the same way that like Ross and Rachel are kind of like the protagonists of friends and things right. always come back to them everything always comes back to Dorothy mm-hmm. who is played by B. Arthur and she is such a Miranda it's not even funny she is such a Miranda and she's the protagonist and that's this whole thing of like if, if Sex and City were made today Miranda would be the protagonist like uh, Golden Girls was made before, se- way before Sex and the City, and it was on network TV. And they've got this like, kind of like grouchy, acerbic, hilarious, like witty, just like broad-shouldered lady as the center of it. And she's so good, and I'm so obsessed with her. And I just wish that B. Arthur could be my, like, I want to be her. That's yeah. she's my new hero. I'm picturing like I'm having this desire as much as like I don't really care about it. That Instagram account with the dude holding a sign, dude with sign. I just feel like he needs to be holding Golden Girls was ahead of its time. Like that's like how much what you just said. It's like, yeah, no shit. And I'm sure it's been discussed, blah, blah, blah. But like great reminder, great content. Yeah. But it's also like so campy. To me, it's it's fun because truly like when you go into their backyard of this house in Miami, the the scenery that shows the background is painted. It's like 2D. It's so, it's so campy too because it looks insane. The clothes are nuts. The design and the decor, the shit in their house, it's 
bonkers how like tacky and campy it is now like 80s miami older ladies the aesthetic is just chef's kiss it's so unbelievably pleasing to watch I mean, I feel inspired. You have gotten me. Like Hulu coming in with all the the great rewatchable shows. I'm I'm feeling like yeah, so good. You know what what about you? You know, before I get into mine, I do think Liza, we may have to assign ourselves to watch Normal People on Hulu. I started the first episode. Mm -hmm. Did you read the book? I didn't, but I would really like to before I watch. I'll cruise through the book and then we can watch it. Yeah, I mean, we can do a Patreon thing, but like cruise through the book. Definitely, we we never talked about that book, but maybe everyone can cruise through Normal People by Sally Rooney. And it's short, and apparently it's a really quick read. Yes, it's a very quick read. Uh, I blew through it this summer, this past summer, actually, on vacation. It was a great vacation read, but not in the traditional sense of like, ooh, juicy, kind of like, I, this. it's a great book that I feel like, you know, uniquely or I I just appreciated okay blah, blah, blah. there's a lot of hype around it so I don't want to overhype it because I felt a little bit like that was good but I liked how simple it was and yet it was so complex in terms of the nuances of this relationship they were just incredibly relatable to me uh and there are some hot people in the television show so we will get there <laughs> we do like hotties um however my recommendation more broadly also on Hulu um, loving this FX show going to Hulu thing because of the Disney purchase of Fox. But I am watching a show called What We Do in the Shadows. There was a movie by Taika Waititi who's also involved in this that came out. And I think it didn't do as – whatever. I don't know a ton about it. But basically it's like a vampire mockumentary. <laughs> it's so good. And I'm obsessed with it. And it's three vampires who live on Staten Island. I did, did I really not talk about this? I don't think you if did. If I'm double recommending it, I stand by it because it's just, for some reason, it's exactly my kind of like delighted humor. They are just navigating being vampires, you know, they're, while this documentary crew is, you know, filming them, but it's just, it's so silly and funny and I love the actors in it. I don't know. <laughs> just like, I don't know how to better pitch it other than like, it makes me giggle in a way that I haven't giggled at a show in a very long time. I've heard it's amazing. It is so uh, and good. <laughs> Jermaine from Flight of the Concords was in the movie, I think, right? He's not in the show, um, right? I should know this. Wait, I, have I maybe look. made up both of these facts. No, 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 no. I, no. Like- I should know this because I like don't. I know I should know the actors better than I do, but I don't. And I kind of just like have embraced them as vampires. But <laughs> I mean, that's completely fine. His name's Jermaine Clement, and he's uh like a very strange crush that I have he was did you watch Flight of the Concords oh yeah no 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 I know him okay is he oh okay 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 is he in it I I think I made that up he might be he was I didn't ever see the movie he was in the movie version yeah that's what I'm I'm thinking no I know totally know who he is now that I see him okay this is fun for everybody super fun um well you know what Um, you should watch it and find out (laughs) I have heard from from many smart people now that it's really good so i will check it out it looks like he's on one episode the trial which is an absolutely fucking phenomenal episode that i just watched so um cool cool i will start this like tonight yeah there are like amazing cameos and i believe that same episode if i'm thinking of the right one yeah i just like (laughs) i'm sorry like i just giggle thinking about it but i don't want to spoil anything so highly recommend and then on a serious note no (laughs) Great transition. But I was just thinking, you know, I'm 
I'm trying to, in the wake of Ahmaud Arbery's murder, be better about using my white privilege and platform. Liza's like, why, why are you doing this? But No, not at all. Um, no, not that you don't agree. But I was, I was seeing some posting about like how to be better white allies. And I would just recommend in terms of content consumption in a very different way, Rachel Cargill's Instagram page as a starting place for like understanding how to, because if you're upset, you know, how to go beyond even just running or posting, et cetera. And I figure this is a small platform we have, but just to try to. I feel so awkward, but I shouldn't. No, not at all. Should, I think it's really important. You know? I think, yeah, I think her Instagram has been incredible and very helpful in a way that I think a lot of people who um, are are privileged because we are white and don't know what to do and want to do the right thing and want really badly to be supporters in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's it's really, really helpful too. I think it's it's great that you're bringing that up. Cool. It just it hit yeah. me because I was really upset, as I'm sure many people listening were, and we should be upset over more of these things that don't necessarily have videos posted online. So more of these murders. I'm sorry. I'm not even going to parse words there. But anyway, let's jump back into other things. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> not at all. I think that while we're – this is not as – this is not as um, like largely and globally important, but when we're on on the topic of more serious – recommendations we had had a conversation about like a a, an approachable feminist reading list a couple episodes ago Mm -hmm. and i left off one of my all-time favorite super approachable comedic books memoirs that i think fall into that category and i wanted to bring it up it's called how to be a woman by caitlin moran who is like just this extremely irreverent hilarious amazing uh british journalist turned kind of writer at large uh, she wrote this memoir. She uh, also wrote a book called so. So her memoir is called How to Be a Woman, and then she wrote a novel called How to Build a Girl, which mm. is actually a movie that Beanie Feldstein stars in as Caitlin Moran. That's coming out on VOD this week that I'm really really excited to watch. Oh my god, I want to watch that. Also, Beanie yeah. in What We Do in the Shadows TV series. Oh my god, no way. Yeah, oh, she's in the she's first. A, she's season. I don't know about yeah. Good for her. Um, but that the book How to Be a Woman informed a lot of my thinking on how to be a woman and i think that her perspectives are both incredible and uh very approachable and very funny her sense of humor is so british and so specific and so she's just like one of those unique angel gems that i feel like not enough people know about she's so cool and so does the right thing and she has a chapter in her book about all of her children and pregnancies and some pregnancies that were planned and unplanned and like the decisions she made it sur- she made surrounding them that I think should be like canon seminal feminist reading. Um, so that's my addition to our feminist growing feminist book list. Yeah. Maybe we'll make an actual feminist book list and put it on the Patreon. Yeah, um, that would be because, that would be fun. Yeah. And it's to- that feels very topical too. I know Mother's Day, Mother's Day is very difficult to me. Haven't lost my mom, but I know it's very difficult. We put a little anonymous poll on our Instagram. Some people who are just yearning to be a mother or who don't have good relationships with their mothers. Like everyone has seen that wonderful um, Mari Andrew post, you know. But I just think, you know, I also just because this is Tuesday, right after Mother's Day, just thinking about everyone. Have we chatted enough about random things yet for you to be like, is this a dating podcast? (laughs) 
It is. And you know it's a dating podcast because we're going to draft our fantasy boyfriends. Something I love about this podcast, and I am just potentially justifying it, but also I do like it, is I really, I feel like we really appreciate the highbrow, lowbrow. We're about to have like a serious conversation with a serious uh, female scholar about like cool science stuff. But first... We're going to draft our fantasy fictional boyfriends. I'm excited. So last time we did this with like date spots, with like date, with date spots. Listen to me reprimanding the way I use the word like cool, cool, cool. And I crafted some lists and then posed or asked Liza what she would pick. And this time Liza crafted some lists and is going to ask me what I would pick. And they are all fictional boyfriends or aspirational boyfriends from different categories. Categories are rom-coms, animated, TV comedies, superheroes, TV dramas, and other. <laughs> Excited for Which other. is just crushes that I have <laughs> that I threw on here. Some of, And there are some weird ones. There are some weird ones in every category. That's part of what makes it hard and fun. Um, okay, we're going to start with rom-coms. You ready? Mm-hmm. Options are... Nate from The Devil Wears Prada. Adam, Benjamin what's Barry. his face? Adrian. Adrian. Gren- sorry, not Adam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Adrian. No. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Grenier? All right. Grenier. I'll bite my tongue. Sorry. Go ahead. No worries. Benjamin Barry from How to Lose Guy in 10 Days. Matthew McConaughey. Jack from Titanic, of course. Noah from The Notebook. Nick from Crazy Rich Asians. Mm. Harry from One Harry Met Sally. Mm. Liza. Oh, I, my. I mean, Yeah. We went broad. We went broad, but my my youthful memory of the the first loin tingles from from Jack and Titanic are really coming strong at me. And I'm a little bit selfish, and I appreciate, you know, even if there was enough room on that door for the both of us, that he was like, "You take it." Yeah, dying <laughs> for you Jack. is like a that's a that's a vibe, man. That's hot. <laughs> uh cool what's yours my pick my pick would be harry from when harry I, I should have put money on it <laughs> i mean i my brand is consistent and predictable um okay so animated aladdin from aladdin lee shang from mulan dimitri from anastasia gaston from beauty and the beast king triton from the little mermaid and the beast from beauty and the beast well i'll tell you right now it will not be gaston um King Triton is making me lol I just think King Triton's hot I just put him on there I mean he is kind of hot and he's I almost made a zaddies category where I put all the zaddies (laughs) across this list into one category but it didn't it didn't work I'm going Aladdin because I want to fly on a carpet no matter how many stereotypes are in that movie I will take that carpet ride I mean I'm about it I think I have to go Dimitri and Anastasia for this one I don't remember a lot about Dimitri. I just always thought he was hot. He's like quippy. (laughs) He's scrappy. He likes to banter. Into Um, it. He's a cotton man. Uh, Okay, ready? TV comedies. Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec. Mr. Big from Sex and the City. Earn from Atlanta. Larry David from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Jim Halpert from The Office. And Sterling Archer from Archer, which now that I'm saying, I realize probably should have gone in the animated category. 
Oh, right. But that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. Let's pretend he's real. Um, you know, I would take Archer over Jim Halpert. Let's just I don't like Jim Halpert. I don't like I don't either. him. And I know there was like an article about this, so I don't need to get into it, but I, I agree with that article. F Jim Halpert. Fuck Jim Halpert. We swear on this podcast. Larry David, I love being a curmudgeon as well, but I would totally axe murder him some like I can't. Not Mr. Big. It's Ben Wyatt or Earn. I feel like Ben Wyatt is too. I'm also only, I'm not caught up on Atlanta. So if if there's anything that I should be considering, know that I'm I think through season one. No, through the, I guess I am caught up on Atlanta. Okay. Uh, Liza, Ben there's, Wyatt okay, is so too vanilla, but I like when men are nice to me too. Well, I think that there's this this category there's some stinkers in we we are going to arrange these into houses to put on the instagram so like the idea is there's going to be like a couple stinkers in each house and that's why it's hard yeah but this category has mr big jim halpert i know some people like jim halpert but i agree i think he's i just i think he's a little bit milk toast and archer who's like a dick yeah so, but I, there's he's like I, unabashedly a dick versus jim yeah. halpert who's a big dick but he thinks he's a great nice guy so that's my i guess i'll go earn because Ben Wyatt just feels too easy. Yeah, I mean, Ern's definitely the hottest. He's also the hottest. Yeah, that's true. I forgot that we can think about how hot they are. I was I'm yes. only thinking about personalities. Yeah, no. Ern. Fucking Ern. 100%. Yeah. I'm going to have to pick Larry David, obviously, because of my consistent... <laughs> I'm sensing I'm basically theme. already dating Larry David. Like, I tell my boyfriend all the time that that's who he... Like, I think he's like him. Except, I don't know. Sometimes less annoying. Also, Harry and Larry David. Like, Dimitri is, like, your your boy toy. You know, but otherwise you've got to type here. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's the other thing with this draft. We're putting these guys into our things. What is that? That's just our, our like, harem house. <laughs> <laughs> Harry and Larry would be able to hang out in my in my house. Okay, now we're going to do TV dramas. Uh, and that is going to be Don Draper from Mad Men. Roman from Succession. Seth Cohen from The O.C., Jon Snow from Game of Thrones, and Luther from Luther. Wait, Roman is the dad. He's the Murdoch, right? No. No, Roman is Kieran Culkin. He's oh. a little turd. Again, there's some stinkers. <laughs> Except I love Roman. I think he's funny. Um, Why did I not? Why can't I remember? What's the dad's name? Logan. Kev. Okay. Logan. Sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. That was unnecessary. Um. Okay. Okay. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Did we read them all? I'm sorry. Yes. Let's see. Don Draper, Roman, Seth Cohen, Jon Snow, Luther. This is an incredible category. Everyone is hot. <laughs> I stand by it because even Roman. Yeah, I, just because he's so fucking good in that role. Karen Culkin. I just like him. I can't help it. He's Such the hottest turd. Yeah. <laughs> character in that show for me. And I kept thinking about him while I was making this. All right. Don Draper, just liter- John Hamm, so hot. L- Mad Men, my favorite show. This I'm exhausted. This category, and we're even about to get into superheroes, and I think this TV drama category is still the hottest. I think like, the problem, though, is like Don Draper and Luther, too many fucking complications. Like, I just, I can't get into the, the, the hotness, though. But more than John, I mean, same with Jon Snow and Roman, though, right? Yeah, I'm going with Seth Cohen. I'm throwing it back. <laughs> I mean, he's I mean so sweet that's why cute. he's on there. We need a good one. I'm picking Luther, and I, it's messed up, but he also almost went into the Zaddies category, but. I think it just was like maybe right on the other side of Zaddy. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Not. He's got some salt and pepper. Right. So but I, I don't. Maybe... I, he's uh, evergreen. Not Zaddy yet. I yeah. That's true. He's classic. He's like. Uh, yeah. 
Um, okay, great. So, your house, just to recap real quick. Jack from Titanic. Aladdin. Earn. Seth Cohen from the OC. I have not is- been very diverse in terms of my age range. Like, everyone's, like, pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. You've got, like, a bunch of twinks. Cool. <laughs> yeah, and, like, but- they have the same bodies. <laughs> but also, it's funny because mine is Harry from When Harry Met Sally, Dimitri from Anastasia, Larry David from Curb, and Luther from Luther. All of mine, except for Dimitri, are, like, over 40. And- yeah. Like, I'm like the opposite. hanging out with teenagers. Oh my god! All right. Well, this is going to be an interesting equalizer. So we're doing superheroes now: Captain America, Chris Pine, Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman, Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield, The Hulk, Mark Ruffalo, and Thor, Chris Hemsworth. Now, how much should I be paying attention to, like the superhero themselves versus you're the picking the superhero? The- okay. Okay. Yeah, I just was pick- I had to put the names because a bunch of different people have played Spider-Man and the Hulk. I mean, if you had put Tom Holland, I would just keep my keep my spider uh, keep my theme going on <laughs> these young like oh, oh well. <laughs> yeah, I had to put Andrew Garfield to make it not like all and Mark Ruffalo to make it not all traditionally like meh, superhero That's men, fair. you know. Okay. I am going I don't know a lot about superheroes, but I'm going. I always thought oh my Spider-Man God. Also, was cool. I realized I put the wrong Chris. Chris. Captain America is Chris Evans, not Chris Pine. Oh. They're all the, the whole thing with the Chris's, you know? The Chris's. Jeez. I'm I'm Chadwick Bo or sorry, I'm Black Panther or Spider-Man. I'll do okay. Black Panther. Okay. Because okay. of Andrew Garfield. No shade to Andrew Garfield. <laughs> I just nah. Nope. I get it. I'm going to go Captain America. I like Chris Evans. I think he's a handsome boy. And I think he seems, oh, God, again, but we're not picking for the th- for the person. Yeah. <laughs> but we really are. But he dated Jenny Slate, so I think he's a nice man. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking more, oh, I, yeah, maybe I do want to fly through the air on spider webs. I think I do. Okay. It's fine, though. I, I'm going on hotness, too, because you did. Okay. Yeah. No, it's true. I, the thing is, I don't know anything about any of these superheroes. I've never seen a single... The only movie I saw from any of these was like half of Black Panther on a plane because I really dislike superhero movies. I don't but- I don't like Marvel movies either. Wait, come for me. Come for me. But Black <laughs> Panther is good. And I like like Spider-Man. I like I like the the story. The, uh, I like that he's a nerd. Yeah, I like but the I haven't seen his movies. origin story. Thank you. Jesus yes. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, are you ready to get into our, our final category, which I is other? I am so ready. Uh, Captain Von Trapp from The Sound of Music. James Bond from Daniel... When we're, This is Daniel Craig, James Bond. Okay. Oliver Wood from Harry Potter. Ooh. Christian Grey from Fifty Shades of Grey. And Han Solo from Star Wars. Okay. Christian Grey, good night. No, thank you. Oh, <laughs> yes. my God. Oh, my God, Captain Von Trapp. That's amazing. I'm... One time... Oh, man, Han Solo is hot back in the day. Okay, uh, James Bond. It's not a question, Kimmy. James Bond, Daniel Craig, please. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I should have gone back to – I'm realizing I should have picked a more historical James Bond because this is almost like historical and literary in one thing. That's okay. Historical, LOL. Well, it's uh, also just like the character – James Bond is me like not picking the nice guy for once but the hot, sexy one. Uh, under that same umbrella i'm going captain von trapp i have a huge crush on him (laughs) he's hot i don't want to hear anything else about it he can sing he's classically handsome he's kind of a dick we have some strong brands yeah (laughs) wow 
look at your house makes sense and mine is bonkers and i should probably <laughs> see some kind of like sexual therapist okay ready this is kimmy's house jack from titanic aladdin Ern from atlanta seth cohen from the oc black panther chadwick boseman james bond daniel craig my house is harry from when harry met sally dimitri from anastasia larry david from curb your enthusiasm luther from luther captain america chris evans and captain von trapp from the sound of music Dos I think everyone in my house is deeply neurotic except for captain america <laughs> everyone in my house has issues yeah you it's like yeah yeah captain america so you're one you're one milk toast like yeah he's gonna have to hold it all together for everybody else dimitri's got issues you don't remember that movie but he's got he's an orphan he's got some some abandonment issues okay <laughs> No, I don't remember Anastasia, though. I feel like I remember the story broadly because of history. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's got issues. Yeah. Well, that was fun. We'll post Your house our, is filled us- with, like, handsome, self-possessed men. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like there's another theme going through my house as well that's, like, uh, guys who think that their little quirks are are cute when sometimes it's like <laughs> like jack is like i will sacrifice myself for you aladdin's like i'm gonna sing and fly like and lie to you a lot and lie yeah seth cohen like i'm gonna be so sticky it's cute and kind of annoying i don't know there's a there's another theme here and james bond i'm gonna <laughs> be so slick it's kind of annoying i don't know bunch of bunch of hot losers in my But I feel like, weirdly, this has revealed something about our inner souls. (laughs) I agree. Like, I'm just, you know. Um, All right. We're going to post some uh, version of this in houses to the Instagram. We hope you'll let us know what your house is. Uh, Do we we have any final thoughts on the fantasy boyfriend draft? I don't think so. I, I would just say, you know, again, we are trying to have some fun and lighthearted content of us just shooting the shit as well as some dating content. So we will dive into some dating content now with our interview. And I also think we will be doing a big dating question roundup very soon. So please send in any questions you have. I know dating in quarantine is weird and sucks, but send them in. 514statespod at gmail.com. Post in the secret Facebook group. Let us know what you want us to chat about and we'll do a big roundup coming up soon. Yes. And we already have. We know we've gotten a bunch of questions and and listener mail and stuff that we have. Uh, if you've already reached out to us, we are not ignoring you. We're saving it for the roundup. It will be out in coming weeks. And we miss you and stay safe. And we're going to take a quick break. And then we'll be back with our interview with um, Dr. Viviana Weeks-Shackleford. And we're back. We are so thrilled to be joined by Dr. Viviana Weeks-Shackelford. She is a psychologist. She specializes in evolutionary psychology. She's the host of the Darwinian Diva podcast, and she's a professor at Oakland University. And we're so thrilled to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's I can't wait. <laughs> yes, we're so excited to talk all things evolutionary psychology general psychology again we were just chatting about this before we started recording but really excited to hear your perspective on a lot of the things we talk about here on 51 first dates so thank you so much can you just tell our listeners a little bit about you what you do and your podcast Darwinian Diva sure okay so I received my PhD in psychology in 2011 from Florida Atlantic University and Boca Raton and my 
training over my years in graduate school really cut across, you know, social, developmental, evolutionary psychology. So um, just wide interdisciplinary training. Um, I've been at Oakland University for almost 10 years. So July 1st, it'll be 10 years. I can't believe it. Um, and actually being here in, in Michigan for 10 years. Uh, so I teach, uh, most of the classes that I teach are uh, sort of introductory level research methods, um, statistics, um, evolutionary psychology, uh, just, you know, a wide range of classes. The other um, class that I really enjoy teaching uh, is psychology of gender. So just a wide variety of classes. I'm also the co-director of the evolutionary psychology lab at Oakland University um, and with my spouse and colleague, Todd Shackleford. And um, I'm also involved in, you know, all kinds of research with undergraduate and graduate students. But yeah, so that's a little bit about my sort of my, my, my training. And uh, I, I can't remember if that was. <laughs> that was <laughs> yeah, that's, that's perfect. And then what we're going to talk a lot about evolutionary psychology today and what it means. Okay. Like, yeah. I don't I know I have like a very, very kind of top level interest in it. I was a psych major way back in the day. Uh, mm. Well, double major in theater, too, which is like <laughs> embarrassing, but it's fine. Uh, <laughs> but um, we're going to talk all about evolutionary psychology and how it relates to dating. But uh, can you give us like a, just a broad perspective on what that means? Like, what is evolutionary psychology? Yeah, so I I think one of the easiest ways to think about what evolutionary psychology is, it's really just applying evolutionary principles to understanding psychology. So just as biologists use, you know, evolutionary principles to understand, you know, all living things and applying it to, you know, outside of humans, um, we apply it through a psychological perspective. So we look at behavior and we ask questions like what might have been the ancestral conditions, you know, looking back at our ancestors, what might have been the ancestral conditions that might have prompted, um, you know, the resulting behavior. So like one of the examples that I like to use because everyone can relate to is jealousy, right? Everyone gets jealous and I think on jealousy gets a bad rap because there are a lot of, you know, potentially horrible outcomes, you know, fatal, but some are good. And I don't think we talk enough about, you know, the, you know, the positive things that jealousy sort of motivates. So jealousy can motivate behaviors like, you know, being um, physically attentive to your partner or, um, you know, investing in your partner, expressing love to your partner and things like that. And so, of course, there are other motivators and other emotions <laughs> that kind of prompt that behavior, but jealousy is one of those things, uh, one of the motivators. And the idea in taking an evolutionary perspective is that um, our ancestors are those men and women who were motivated by jealousy to maintain their partner, to invest in their partner, to communicate with their partner, you know, to invest in the, in the relationship. And um, so this is why we see this behavior today. And so it's interesting to us because, you know, it, it's involved in a lot of the behaviors that we engage in. I just, I, I feel so silly, but my mind just starts to get blown the second I start thinking about evolution. I, I guess, I guess for me, what's running through my mind right now, and I'm kind of curious your thoughts is what is maybe the biggest impact, let's just say on romantic relationships um, that you think kind of is an interesting area to study. Maybe biggest is the wrong term, but like where, you know, jealousy is a really obvious and relatable example. But now I'm just starting to think, wow, is even how far back do my thoughts on needing a partner go? And 
I guess if there's one relationship relationship related or relationship based um, evolutionary theory or idea that you've studied, what would be kind of the largest one or most impactful one? I apologize for my ineloquence in trying to word this. Oh question. no, no. I would say, in terms of evolutionary explanations and perspectives and its impact on psychology, I would say that it really has impacted mainly the mating area, right? So, you know, jealousy, yes, it's one aspect. It's, you know, it's just one tiny behavior. But in general, um, evolutionary principles have, um, you know, impacted areas like mate attraction, um, you know, dating, <laughs> uh, sex. Um, so anything to do with mating, really is, I, I would say, you know, sort of the biggest area that evolutionary, um, you know, psychology has impacted. Which is, yeah, it's crazy because I feel like that's so much of what we talk about. And and we, right. you know, Kimmy and I are both like longtime therapy devotee, devotees and we think a lot about, you know, how our, what's playing out in our brains during early stages of dating. But how do you think, uh, how do you think your your work, the things that you study are evolutionary instincts. How do you think we can see that playing out in like a bar on a first date? You know, like you, you meet someone, you show up to a place, they're a stranger, you sit down and order a drink. Like what is at play going on? Yeah. If only I knew for sure. Right? <laughs> um, well, I think that, you know, so in terms of like organizing, you know, what is happening I would say, and this is, you know, me and my perspective, but I would say it depends on what the person is looking for. So if we're taking the perspective of a female, right, she's going into a bar, what is she thinking? What is she looking for? I mean, that's going to vary, right? If she's in a, if she's already in a relationship, she might be looking for a short term, short term relationship. And if she's looking, you know, so a one night stand or something. And so if she's looking for a one night stand, that's a different psychology that's operating. She might be looking for a guy that's super hot, right? That, you know, she can have sex with for one night, right? Um, if she is a single woman, she might be looking for a long-term partner. And so she's going to look for characteristics that are different that might be more suited to someone that she might want to have a long-term relationship with. But the point here is that it depends, right? It depends on what the person is looking for. It depends on what the mating pool looks like, you know, what kind of guys are in there. Um, and a lot, one thing that I have to point out is that a lot of these things aren't happen, you know, happening consciously, right? We're not going in and saying, well, I'm pursuing a long-term mate today. So, <laughs> you know, let's see, what does the mating pool look like? Right. And so it just depends. Um, so I, I don't have like a specific answer, but that's really what's going on. This is underlying psychology that's picking up on, you know, cues, right? So what's around you, what is relevant to, you know, what you need at this time. Yeah, and when it comes to, you know, I believe you teach a class on this, but I'm just thinking about gender roles um, mm -hmm. and evolu evolution. Yeah, and curious if you can just speak a little bit more to that, uh, maybe the basics of how gender roles are impacted by when you or thinking about gender roles from from an evolutionary psychology perspective. So when we think about gender roles, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that um, most people think about gender roles in terms of like socially constructed. So things right. that, you know, we expect women to 
you know, behave in a certain way. We expect men to behave in a certain way. And when we think about that kind of, um, you know, thing from an evolutionary perspective, the take kind of, you know, it kind of changes a little bit. So as an evolutionary psychologist, uh, the behaviors that we expect women to, you know, engage in and men to engage in is more of, it's, I would say it's more of a predicted, predictable set of behaviors, right? Not to say that social influence isn't important and that social, you know, cultural um, experiences and uh, forces are not in play, but it's just kind of curious that, you know, women engage in the same sorts of behaviors relatively on average men do. Um, and as an evolutionary perspective, we, you know, sort of say that there's more to this than just this, you know, social influence, right? That there may be some ancestral history that, um, you know, sort of um, ancestral history that we can look upon to tell us something about why we see, you know, these, these behaviors um, that are similar across males and females. Yeah. So, and this is, I'm going to play kind of the student asking you a question and making sure I'm understanding correctly. So as like, I'm a cis woman and there are lots of times I have thought about, you know, the social constructs around my gender and even, I guess that part of me thinks about the movies I saw growing up or the Disney depictions, et cetera. This is, again, always talking about relationships on this podcast, but especially in relation to my relationship with men um, versus things that could be ancestral and truly passed down from, you know, so many years back, thousands and thousands of years when I may have needed to rely on a man, let's say, or sorry, my ancestors. Is that kind of like the difference when you between thinking about it kind of from a social construct perspective versus and I'm not saying you can't think about it from both perspectives but versus right. um an evolutionary perspective absolutely okay right, okay. right. <laughs> I'm just making sure I'm following <laughs> and how do, what happens then so we have we have all of these these years of evolution hardwired into our brain into our psychology into our thinking um and you know I'm assuming that a lot of these things we've learned have to do with being in person with each each other. So what happens when so much of dating and mating and early courtship and even like the beginning of kind of like sex rituals moves to our phones? Like are our, are our brains able to comprehend that switch? Does it is it throwing off natural rhythms? Like what's your perspective on that? Yeah. So in terms of you know, thinking about apps and websites and computer technology and things like that, um, from an evolutionary, you know, perspective, it's sort of novel, right? So when we talk about, you know, the evolution of, uh, you know, of attraction and things like that, we're talking over millions of years, right? So in terms of evolutionary calendar, an evolutionary calendar, it's a very small amount of time that we've had access to apps, right? And, and websites. So for it to have any sort of impact, we'd need it, you know, to go on a lot longer. And my guess is things are going to change even more. So there won't, it won't be around for, for too much longer. Um, um, but what my answer would be in terms of how does our psychology deal with this would be that it's, it's going to kind of, you know, tickle the same psychology that operates outside of apps, right? So just, you know, sort of traditional dating. 
and maybe traditional dating and now using apps, um, but uh, you know, outside of using apps. So just like walking into a bar or meeting, you know, uh, you know, potential mate through someone that you know. That same sort of psychology, you know, whether you're looking for a long-term relationship or a short-term relationship, a one-night stand, that same psychology that that operates. Uh, there, you know, outside of uh, the apps is, is just brought to a different, um, you know, platform, right? So it's the same sort of thing. You're going to look for an app uh, where you, you know, you are looking for a potential mate. And the question then becomes, what are you looking for? Are you looking for a short term, a short term mate? Are you looking for a long term mate? Are you looking for a one night stand? Um, you know, do you want to, I don't know, look for both? <laughs> um, so it's that same sort of underlying psychology that's operating there. Interesting. So you feel like there's not like we're basically just taking the things we've already learned to do unconsciously and applying it to a new to a new platform. That's that's my thought. OK, so it's just, you know, in, in you know, reviewing some of the literature, um, um, you know, some of the same sex differences that we see right where. There's tons of research showing that, you know, males are more interested in short-term sex, casual sex. They're more, you know, they're interested in having much more partners than, than females do, right? So some of these sex, sex differences that have been documented outside of looking at apps, right, or in, in, uh, using websites, we see the same kinds of sex differences in men that use apps, right, or that use websites to obtain a mate, right? They are uh, much more interested in casual sex, right? So we see a lot of the same uh, sex differences, the same sorts of behaviors in both sexes, even while using these apps, which suggests that, yes, it's just underlying psychology that's it's pretty much the same, right? Um, the one area that, um, that I, I don't, because just imagine that, you know, so we start out with dating websites and then we switch to apps. So the research is sort of, you know, catching up, like there's, the research is all over the place and looking at apps and how it affects, you know, dating psychology and so forth. Um, but I, I think what's really interesting, one particular area that's really interesting that I'm not familiar with in, in looking at apps is the extent to which we can, you know, lie and manipulate, right? Um, and so I think in that way, apps and websites allow for that kind of thing to happen. So women will put on filters, you know, or men, right, uh, to kind of, accentuate their their physical attractiveness or men might lie about their their financial status and all the, the resources that they have right so it sort of begs for that kind of manipulation or exploitation really of you know the the partner that they're looking for do you feel that you know taking people out of like in-person mating rituals makes it so much easier to lie oh absolutely yeah um I almost feel like, how could you not, right? You know, I mean, you know, depending on what you're looking for, right? Um, and maybe it's it might be as innocent as a filtered picture, right? But then once you get to know the person, you know, it's the real person and so forth. But as, as, a, as a psychologist and an evolutionary psychologist, it's interesting to me, oh my gosh, you know, look what they're doing to sort of, you know, lure the guy in or, you know, that could be male doing it as well, you know, using financial resources and lying about it, right? So it kind of speaks to the um, research that, um, you know, that's been done looking 
at males and females outside of, you know, using apps and things like that. So it's, it's very similar. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we still have, I think a lot of um, research that needs to be done in exploring apps and you know, the way it affects psychology and how it um, affects outcomes and relationships and things like that. Um, I was curious if we could go back to your point about the research around men um, and short-term sex um, <laughs> because that piqued my interest, especially as someone who – I think, you know, and I always assumed it was informed by movies or examples of people in my life, um, was, I have, I've always been afraid of cheating and men lying to me and I have like, okay, this is not therapy, but like it's, it's, it's a bit odd because I have a really great relationship with my father who had a great relationship with my mother and I've dealt with this in therapy, but even my current partner, I'll, I kind of have this big feeling about men wanting sex and... I, I know that that's true, and you were just talking about some research around it. So just curious if, if you can speak a little bit more to that research and then maybe talk about it in the positive way you talked about jealousy because I'm just thinking maybe we have listeners out there like me who get a little paranoid that men are on apps especially just want sex and I'm looking for something more. I'm just, I just, I guess I'm <laughs> having a meltdown, but curious to know a little more about that research and then maybe how to productively think about it and not spiral like me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, right. So with, is, I, guess, I think the easiest way or one way to think about this. And so one theory that we use often that sort of um, is a foundation for understanding sexual psychology is parental investment theory. And basically that that's a theory that cuts across all species, but really it kind of says that the, the sex, and it doesn't, have to be females, but the sex that invests more in offspring, right? That's going to be the sex that invests more in things like dating and, you know, um, l- looking for a long-term partner, right? Whereas the sex that invests less, right? They're going to devote most of their efforts to quantity, right? Versus quality, right? And so this is not to say, so humans are, so here's the a positive spin. <laughs> humans are odd, right? In, term, in, in terms of parental investment that males, human males invest quite a bit relative to our cousin great apes, <laughs> um, that um, they invest quite a bit in, in their offspring, right? And so, um, yes, it's true that males on average are, you know, interested in having more sex partners, think about, you know, have more sexual fantasies than women. Um, but they are also invested in, you know, their offspring surviving, right? They are interested in making sure that their partner uh, doesn't cheat. Um, and so that might be a motivator for, you know, um, I mean, guys can't be in two places at once, right? So if they're running around cheating, they're not watching what you're doing. Right, which means you could be cheating as well. So there's costs and benefits to the short-term casual sex, right? And so the idea in terms of parental investment theory is that it's more costly for a woman to engage in short-term sex because there's a risk of becoming pregnant, mm-hmm. right? And you know, the investment that's necessary there for pregnancy is huge. Never mind, you know, 
taking care of it until it's 18 or 26. <laughs> There's a, a lot of investment that's necessary on the females. Whereas males, I mean, they really, the donation is one sperm, right? If they just need one sperm that does the, does, does the rest and the females kind of handle everything else. So in terms of um, the, the strategy, it sort of be like, why not if you're a male, right? Why not engage in short-term sex? Because these costs are less. But at the same time, just like I said, there are costs and benefits for both males and females. So uh, once a male is committed, especially if, you know, if you have children with him, there are, he wants those children to survive, right? And, and, and I, and I have to say that it doesn't matter if you want kids or you don't want, you know, if you're adopting kids, we have this psychology that has, you know, evolved, right? And so the behaviors that we see sort of, um, you know, play out that that ancestral history. It's really interesting. I just thinking this, like hearing you speak about this, and even just the science is oddly, incredibly comforting to me. Just versus, <laughs> no, surely as much too. as it's like, whoa, wait, what? I, just the fact that. I guess, again, this is also because we have a dating podcast and we've talked ad nauseum about, you know, especially really heteronormative relationships and men nowadays and apps. I feel like two years ago when we started this, there was a huge thing of dating apps are, you know, making men these predatory fuckboys, pardon my French, and et cetera. So it's just, it's nice to kind of hear a little bit of science behind, again, not everyone's behavior, but it, it's comforting to me. I just wanted to note that. Right. And I, and I think that's one of the things that, um, I mean, I myself appreciate in, in terms of, you know, science and what it contributes to understanding things like dating, that a lot of the research that we look at, you know, we're talking about on average course, you've got the extremes where you're going to have men that exploit women and that are predators <laughs> on apps and things like that. And um, things that, you know, yes, that are, that you might think about. And, um, and that, you know, on the same note or on the flip side of that, you've got women that will also engage in things that you might not expect, right? So, um, you know, engaging in the short-term sex and things that might look more like, you know, male sexual behavior on average, right? But yeah, so in terms of, you know, what science offers, yes, I think it's, it's, it's refreshing because it kind of brings you back to center and thinking about on average, what do people do, right? And then within a particular behavior, so if we're talking about short-term sex, yeah, we're just talking about average, not averages, not all guys are jerks and, you know, not all women are faithful. Right. No, it's, it's, it's important. I love to get one like, anecdotal uh, moment in my head and run with it. So science is great for someone like me. <laughs> but it's kind of in this, in a similar vein, how do you think, so, so sex for women has changed so massively in the last 50 something years since the pill was invented 52 years something and something since like yeah. yeah like birth control has become just a what every single human woman i know <laughs> like uses um do you see how, how is this affecting the work you do like is it is it changing everyone's behavior patterns is it I mean, obviously it's changing people's sexual behavior patterns, but how does it, um, how does it, does it change any of your perspectives? Like how is it affecting your work? Well, typically from uh, the research that we do in our lab, 
um, we purposely exclude <laughs> women who are on hormones, right? Because mm -hmm. we feel you know, it does appear to affect psychology, right? We, it's sort of controlling for that. So we sort of leave that out. One person who, um, I'm plugging her right now is um, who she just recently wrote a book on hormones and female psychology is Sarah Hill. Um, she, she's the, the expert on that kind of thing. But in terms of our research, yeah, we kind of leave that out, right? Sort of controlling for it. And then, um, I mean, the other thing that, I don't know, it's sort of that I fall back on is, you know, while we have contraception, right? We know that, let's say, you know, women are, uh, you know, can use contraception and why might a partner be jealous if he knows that she can't become pregnant? Well, it's because we, again, we have this underlying psychology where, you know, it's very costly for a male, right, to, you know, for their partner to cheat and then invest in a child that's not his, right? That's like just horrible for a guy. So, one of the questions that we get asked a lot is, well, you know, maybe, you know, with contraception, well, maybe that might, you know, alleviate things for guys, but it really hasn't, it hasn't made a change in, you know, guys upset about their partner cheating on them. Um, so in terms of the, so one aspect is how does it affect behavior? And um, I think in terms of the psychology, right, not physiology, because that, that would be a different area. And that's where Sarah Hill talks a little bit, you know, quite extensively about um, how it changes the physiology. Um, it's sort of the same idea with apps that it's rel relatively novel, right, for it to have a huge impact on the way we behave in terms of, you know, sexual behavior. We know that it affects, it can affect, um, you know, responses in, you know, things like, um, well, actually, yeah. So looking at things like physical attractiveness, there's some research looking at, um, you know, women rating men's attractiveness based on the smell of their t-shirts or something like that. And women on the pill, they, you know, on some sort of contraception, they, you know, their ratings are, are quite different. I can't recall off the top of my head, sorry. Um, you know, how different they were, but they were different, right? And so if we want to look at sort of the, you know, raw psychology, then, you know, a lot of the research that we do in our lab, we sort of leave that, you know, we leave that that aspect out or leave out women who are using contraception. Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess when it comes to having kids as well, I mean, Liza and I on this podcast have both talked about kind of grappling, especially, you know, we're both in our early 30s, but it's really when you have to start thinking about kids and like being at that point in your life. Curious, you know, you, you touched on this earlier, but I'd love to dig a little deeper, especially for anyone listening who doesn't want kids or, or does, but it feels like, uh, and of course, mating and, you know, procreating is such a huge part of evolutionary psychology, very obviously. And I'm just curious to kind of understand a little more about it, let's say I didn't want to have kids, still figuring it out. Uh, I would still be impacted by my ancestors, you know, and human nature's desire to procreate, correct? Yeah, so you operate, right? This is on average, female psychology operates on that sort of presumption, mm -hmm. right? So you are, on average, women are, you know, more interested in a long-term relationship than they are a short-term relationship. And the idea there is, yeah, you are operating on this psychology that, you know, it's going to be costly. You know, I'm not going to have, you know, if I'm engaged in a short-term mate, this person is not going to provide resources for me. He's not going to provide safety. 
uh, you know, protection and things like that. So, um, yeah, so exactly. So you are operating you, us <laughs> on the psychology that the presumption is right. And this is on average what our ancestors did. Right. right, right and so right. that's why I, think, I always like to say that it doesn't matter if you want kids, you don't, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Your psychology operates in the, in the same, in the same sorts of ways. And what we do, the way we express uh, that psychology is just, it might, it's going to differ across people. Yeah. So one area that's really interesting is like with adoption, right? Uh, you know, those uh, families that adopt children, they typically, they want their children, right? They, they invest so much time and effort. Um, not to say that people that don't adopt don't want their kids. <laughs> Um, and so what happens, you know, like compared to step families, for example, where you don't, you don't necessarily, um, you know, you're not seeking to have that child, right? You kind of, it's kind of like a byproduct of the relationship that you get, you know, that you become involved in. Um, and so what we see is that in, in families where adoption occurs, their investment in their children, their interactions with children are very, and, and children is parallel. We see a lot of similarities between, uh, adoptive parents and biological parents. Whereas with step parents, where again, you know, you're not, um, you know, it's, it's a sort of byproduct. Um, we see, you know, higher rates of abuse, higher rates of, um, you know, child neglect and things like that. So it's really interesting, uh, you know, when we, when we look at, you know, that, that psychology. Yeah, it's very interesting. Tell everybody where they can find you, your podcast, et cetera, on social media, on the internet. Yes. So I'm on Facebook, on Twitter at Darwinian Diva. You can find me that way. My uh, website is Darwinian Diva, uh, PhD.com. And we'll link to all that in the show notes as well to make it nice and easy. And thank you so much for being with us. It's been a super interesting conversation. I feel like uh, maybe I can talk about this with a little bit less, um, uh, you know, word salad next. (laughs) But we super appreciate it. It's been so interesting. Yes, thank you so much, uh, and and for kind of letting me think through a lot of things. I this was a really great conversation. We really appreciate you sharing um, more about this field with us. Well, thank you for having me, and yeah, just keep thinking through those things. <laughs> Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.